Hello and welcome to What's the Story Ghost. I'm your host, Annette. And I'm Stephen. And today we are on episode 17. Stephen. Annette. <laughs> what can you tell me about the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum? Not a whole lot, because normally what we do is you tell the story and then I ask the questions. Yeah, I know, but I just wanted to see if you knew about it. Uh, it is also known as the Western Hospital um, I'm not 100% sure exactly what date it did change its name, but I will probably refer to it as both those names throughout the story. We crack on? Crack on. Opened in 1864 and forcibly closed by the government in 1994, Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum sat on 66 acres of land and consisted of 13 buildings. What could go wrong? The hospital has a death count of up to 500 historians have estimated, which doesn't sound like a lot compared to our Waverly Hills episode, but a large portion of people admitted to this hospital didn't have a deathly illness. These deaths were due to neglect, abuse and stone cold murder. The hospital was designed with Gothic and Tudor revival styles, which to me looked eerily similar to St. Loman's Psychiatric Hospital in Mullingar and Westmead and Our Lady's Hospital in Cork City. As it happens, when I looked into it, terrifying and spooky was a very popular style in the 1840s and 50s. Building began in 1858. Work was conducted by prison labourers, but also skilled stonemasons had been brought in from Germany and Ireland to contribute to the architecture. The hospital's main building is claimed to be one of the largest hand-cut stone masonry buildings in the United States, and the second largest hand-cut sandstone building in the world. Now. There is a theory in the paranormal investigating circles called the stone tape theory. The idea is that buildings constructed of certain materials will hold on to the residual energy of the building, much like a tape recorder will hold on to sound. So I would like to submit this finding of mine from Jack Osborne's Portals to Hell as evidence that I'm not the only person who thinks that residual energy is a thing, but I digress. The building was finished 23 years later in 1881 because construction was interrupted by the outbreak of the American Civil War in 1861. The central clock tower, standing at 200 feet tall, was completed in 1871. Separate rooms for African-American patients were constructed as well as a farm, dairy, waterworks and cemetery as the hospital intended to be self-sufficient. The building was the brainchild of Thomas Story Kirkbride, a doctor and crusader for the mentally ill who founded what would in time become the American Psychiatric Association. It was meant to house 250 patients comfortably in private rooms. Kirkbride emphasised the importance of light and fresh air, suggesting that the asylum be built with long hallways, with 12 foot high ceilings and abundance of windows and great ventilation. This all sounds great and we touched off this method of therapy in our Waverly Hills Sanatorium episode, but Kirkbride also emphasised freedom for patients. He felt that they should be allowed to roam as much as possible and would behave better if given more freedom with their own lives. But some of these patients were severely disturbed, which would have horrific effects later, but we'll come back to that. A lot of the patients did have mental health issues and the hope was that they would receive treatment but back then patients were being admitted into the asylum for a variety of reasons including laziness, egotism, greediness, asthma, diabetes, epilepsy, down syndrome, tuberculosis, drug and alcohol addiction and rabies. Also admitted 
were wives who were disobedient to their husbands, ill with indigestion or politically excited. I often wonder if I was born in the wrong era because I love everything that everyone is wearing in Bridgerton and then I read things like this. Who hasn't had a row with their husband or felt ill after eating too much bread or had a controversial thought about who should or shouldn't be in government. You quite literally could drive up to this hospital and drop off a relative that you just didn't want to care for anymore or a bold child that needed a stricter hand than you could give. But because of this, the asylum was faced with a shortage of staff and beds and conditions quickly deteriorated. By 1880, the hospital held, in variety, 717 patients, nearly 500 patients more than the asylum was built for, and it got continuously worse as the years went on. By 1938, the asylum held 1,661 patients, over 1,800 patients in 1949, and then at its peak, 2,600 patients in the 1950s. The farm and dairy on the compound originally designed to provide for 300 were unable to meet the increased demand that came with overcrowding. Patients began to suffer from malnutrition, which only exacerbated mental health issues. Needless to say, the hospital was drowning. In 1935, Portuguese neurologist Igas Monis pioneered the lacotomy, an extreme form of brain surgery designed to suppress anxiety and mood disturbance in otherwise untreatable patients. The following year, American neurologist Walter Freeman, working with surgeon James Watts, embraced this practice for use in the United States. Over the next decade, the pair performed hundreds of procedures, now renamed lobotomy by Freeman. In 1950, Western State Hospital found itself in the centre of West Virginia's lobotomy project. Between 1952 and 1955, 787 West Virginians were lobotomized at the four state mental hospitals of the era, Huntington, Spencer, Lacken, and of course, Weston. Freeman is thought to have traveled back and forth from Washington where he resided to do most, if not all of the procedures. More than 100 people had had the surgery before 1952, meaning approximately 900 state residents in total endured the procedure the largest number per capita of any US state. Simplifying the process was a major benefit given Freeman's intention of reducing the overcrowding and financial burden in mental hospitals that many states faced. Transorbital lobotomies could be completed quickly and in Freeman's mind did not require surgical training or an operating room. By teaching the transorbital protocols to doctors and psychiatrists, Freeman hoped to get closer to his ultimate goal of ridding the world of mental illness. Good as his intentions were, many of these patients did not consent to the surgery. Thankfully, the introduction of psychotropic medicines in the mid-1950s, plus studies arguing the claims of the operation's success, led to the end of the West Virginia Lobotomy Project in 1955. But so many were left in a palliative state sometimes perfectly healthy patients left with lasting physical and cognitive damage after this barbaric treatment. In an attempt to expose the terrible conditions within, the Charleston Gazette attempted to send a crew into the asylum in 1949. They found patients sleeping on the floor and in corridors, freezing due to the lack of sufficient furniture and heating in most of the complex. Only one wing 
which had been rebuilt following a fire in 1935 started by a patient who was luxurious by comparison. They also noted that patients that orderlies deemed unable to be controlled had been locked in cages in open spaces in an attempt to make more bedrooms available for less worrisome occupants. The lack of proper care and access to sanitation led to a huge number of deaths in the hospital. It's not hard to imagine the frustration among the patients. Some became violent to other patients. These aggressive patients were just locked away and not treated. Some were even chained to the wall. In the 1980s, a new asylum was opened. Many were moved, but the violent patients, however, remained, gradually transforming the asylum into a prison in 1986, rather than remaining a hospital. By the time the asylum closed in 1994, the only part of the grounds that had been expanded to accommodate the new demand was the graveyard. Today, the building is slowly being restored by its current owner, Joe Jordan, and his daughter, Rebecca. Rebecca manages the building and has had her own experience while giving a tour when she felt someone grab her shoulder and squeeze. Since 2007, tours have been made available for those who wish to see the asylum firsthand. Ghost hunters, the building's most frequent visitors, say that they can feel the presence of hundreds who perished in the shocking conditions. Understanding the spirits and what they went through makes it easier for them to communicate but also creates a sense of empathy. These spirits are people who once had full lives just like anyone else. There are a few choice locations throughout the asylum that are said to have heavy activity. It's no surprise with such torture and neglect the walls of Trans-Allegheny with its dark history are dripping with residual energy. One of the asylum's most well-known ghosts is that of a little girl named Lily. Although there was a children's ward, it's believed that Lily was born in the asylum, not quite admitted, and died of pneumonia at age nine within the walls also. She isn't shy about making herself known to staff or visitors. Commonly reported paranormal activities by Lily include holding your hand, tugging your clothing, giggling, stealing candy, and invisible games of ball. Sounds pretty normal for a nine-year-old little girl. Another popular spirit left trapped inside the asylum is that of Ruth. Not much is known about her, but what we do know is that during her time in the asylum, Ruth was an aggressive and at times a violent older lady who had a severe disliking towards men. It's common to encounter Ruth on the first floor near her holding cell. And then there's Dean. His story is both horrific and tragic, so a mere mention won't do. Dean was mute and had an intellectual disability which caused him to act out as a young child and occasionally get aggressive but otherwise he was known as one of the sweetest patients. He was murdered by the patients he shared a room with. Right about now is when my sister and those who don't have a strong stomach can go ahead and turn the volume down until you hear a beep. I'll include going forward at gruesome parts and just assume Dean's death, as I said, was both horrific and tragic. Dean lost his life in what would be known as the bedpost murder in 1987. As I said, he was known as one of the sweetest patients, but it was because of his occasional outbursts he found himself a patient on Ward F, which housed the more violent patients. After colouring for most of the day under nurse supervision, he found himself alone with 25-year-old David Mason and 30-year-old James Woods. They hung Dean with the bedsheet until he passed out, lowered him, brutally beat him, and then when he woke up, they'd hang him again, repeatedly raising and lowering him, beating him in between. 
At the time, the asylum had steel bed frames in all the wards. They lay him on the ground and placed the foot of the bed on the side of his head, and while one would hold him in place, the other would jump on the bed. They took turns doing this until eventually Dean's head was impaled by the bedpost and he died. He now haunts the room he was brutally murdered in. Other hauntings include that of the second floor where disembodied voices warn people to get out of a room where a double suicide occurred. The same floor is haunted by a stabbing victim who tugs on the pants of people walking by as if using his last bit of strength to seek help. Doors are commonly left open by a nurse's ghost named Elizabeth, who is thought to still be doing her rounds. Be you a skeptic or a believer, I think we can all agree the building serves as a reminder of a shameful past and an urgent call to do better in the future. What do you think of that? Wow. Yeah, it's intense. You can't see this, but I'm gathering myself. That Dean story is a bit it's deep. So so sad. Mm. It's so so sad. But like, I imagine if you if you get haunted by him, it's not like ooh, boo, 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 boo. it's like, hey, do you want to color my color books with me? Yeah, I mean, like, I didn't actually realize. Like, I knew he 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 had a, a mental disability, but I didn't realize until I read it. His story, like, I knew about the bedpost. Um, I don't want to go into too <clears> much detail on that, otherwise it feeds the purpose of me trying to section that part off. But it was only when I went and read more about him, I was like, supervised colouring all day. And then I realised that he had the mental intellect of probably someone much, much younger because he was 49 when he died. Yeah. And it was just when I, when, I was just so sad, like colouring all day and then just goes back to his room and then he's just... Because he's so big as an adult, when he acts out like a toddler acts out and throws her toys at a pram, he looks like he's a big, giant man. And if you, like, if you know when... It, the boys hit us or something. They're like, no, I don't want me milk or whatever. This, I actually meant to mention as well, this story came in as a recommendation from a good friend of mine, Stephen. It's funny because when I was reading up on it, it actually said that it doesn't have as many hauntings as Waverly Hills. Mm, and yes. I was like, no, hang on a second. All the videos I'm watching here are of the guides actually talking about tons and tons of hauntings because of the American Civil War, all the money yeah, that went... Yeah, that's what I wanted to go back to. It's the timeline. Um, So... You said it started built in 1858 and it was it opened in 1864. Yeah. But then you threw in dates of something, something was finished being built in 1871 and then something else. Terror, was, yeah. And something was finished in 1881, but it was a building in progress. Well, there was quotation. Well, no, see, this is what I'm this is what I'm saying, right? The building was state of the art when it was first built, and it would have comfortably held two hundred and fifty patients in private rooms. But then out of nowhere, people were just coming up with, like I said, TB patients. And, you know, from the Waverly Hills episode, the whole reason... Unruly wives. I know. I read that. How dare you get... What was one of the words of giggle? It was politically excited. I know. Don't you be getting notions about politics. I want to be a suffragette. You remember, though, from the Waverly Hills episode, the whole point of Waverly Hills being so far away from everybody is so that the spread of tuberculosis wouldn't yeah. wouldn't be, just become rampant. And yes. yet, out of nowhere, you have patients who have tuberculosis mixing with people who have asthma, mixing with people who have rabies. Have you ever seen the effects of rabies? No. Like, if you don't get that sorted within the first, I think it's a couple of hours. No, not like two or three hours. but Actually, you're... that was commented, and lots of people would have also seen Stranger Things. And one of the episodes where one of the girls was like, oh, do these bats have rabies? Because, you know, once the symptoms show, it's too late. Yeah, it's bye-bye. Yeah. 
There you go, Stranger Things. I think I'm the only person in the whole entire world who's never watched an episode of Stranger Things. Not even like, oh, I haven't caught up. I have never watched a single episode. That's a strange thing. You're a strange thing. <laughs> no, but I, I just the, the mix of all these people. And this is why Kirkbride, he had the best intentions when he built the hospital and he wanted, you know, people with mental health issues not to feel like they were like, oh, you need to be strapped to the bed. He wanted them to be able to have more freedom and be able to live freely within the compound and kind of go about their day. But then that whole notion got completely twisted when all of a sudden you have people who have mental health issues and physical health issues and you, you've just got all these people intermixing together and the nurses and the doctors literally just lost the run of the place. Eventually when the Charleston Gazette pretty much infiltrated the place, it probably didn't look too unlike the American Horror Story, The Asylum. When she goes back to break out, what's her face, whose name I can't remember right now, but it was like people in the dark on the floor, freezing cold, sleeping. She wa- she went in as a reporter. reporter. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say because I was like, oh, the reporter went back in, but it was that. It's was... not unlike that though. The scenes were horrific. There was bits, and there were I, I think I remember open area cages of people. Mm. So yeah, that all that. That's you should huge. watch. You should watch some of the videos on the tours that they do because they've still kept all the any infrastructure, including the cages. And the cage is literally in the middle of a room. And you're with the whole room, but you're not allowed to be part of the room. I don't want, I, I can't even imagine. If anything, I think the, the building is just standing there just to remind us to do better in future. Mental health care has come a long way, but we don't still Don't get have, me started. I have a gripe. I'm not going to share it. I know. We still have, we still have a long, long ways to go. I have an A4 pad of notes. You've never had this many notes before. I'm very impressed. Yeah, well, I'm prepared. Go. I want to play... We haven't titled the section, but I went with who would play that ghost. Okay, okay, so, so go. I think the three ghosts you mentioned. Now, there's not a lot of backstory on two of the three, so we're just... We we're can just, leave out Ruth and we can leave out Elizabeth. We could, we oh, could. Oh, why do you have someone? But if we were look at Lily, okay. who's a young girl, Yes. and I'm going back in time here to the start of Stranger Things oh. when Millie Bobby Brown was young. Okay. So she would play the young girl in that. I would have gone with Dakota Fanning as a very, very young, like hide-and-seek, very young. But this is my second. Yeah, but that's very young. <laughs> but, but I'll accept your comments. I'll think about it. Okay. And I'll email you if I'm interested. Okay. So Ruth, I'm, I'm picking up, is a strong, aggressive old lady yeah. who doesn't like men. I don't think she's a psychopath, though. I think she's just... She's she's just she, a misunderstood woman who wants to be on her own. Yeah, she likes to be an independent in woman. In my oh. mind, there's only one woman who can play this, and I think you've guessed it already. I can't remember her name. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's Kathy Bates. <laughs> it's Kathy Bates for the win. <laughs> and also, that I leads us on to... her name so many times. We ended up dedicating a whole episode to her, and then I still managed to forget her name. This, and this segment is also leads us on to another segment called What Ghost is Kathy Bates? <laughs> Uh, and then, obviously, for Dean, big scary guy, misunderstood, is Michael Clark. And for those who don't know, he is the chap who played the main character in The Green Mile. Yes. 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 Him or Shaquille O'Neal? Going with very tall people. I think that's probably the way to go, though, because people tend to judge the book by its cover. And the cover is quite scary because it's tall. Um, but it's not his fault. Everybody else is short. Like, that's not very fair. I know. Yeah. It's not it's not everybody else's fault that I'm not tall. <laughs> have you any other ghosts? <laughs> Did you have any other ghosts? Or any other actors? No, you don't want to bring the ghosts. I do. I know I brought the ghosts, but do you have any other actors for the ghosts? No, I think that covers I think we've three ghosts, three actors. Well. I feel really bad though. I don't understand how we haven't found somebody that 
Tom Hanks can play. Like Tom Hanks is just he's such a versatile actor and we have not found one story where Tom Hanks We have to come across some stories where toys come alive. And I think that's where Tom really has his niche. I think he has a perfect story. Is it Chucky? <laughs> no, I've never seen Chucky. Me neither. I am not one for gratuitous violence. So, so next week we're going to have a Toy Story, a Toy Go story. Do you know what I think we should do, Stephen? When we cover an episode or after we've covered an episode, we should try and find a movie that correlates with the episode that we just watched. I think we could ask our listeners, all 11 of them, <laughs> to suggest a movie or a tv series or episode that's related to that yeah because so let them do the homework because you've done enough (laughs) and then it would only fall to me so let's (laughs) come on down listeners now the only problem with taking um listeners recommendations on movies as i said this one came in as a recommendation from steven but when i'm reading information i can stop whenever i want when you and I are trying to watch a movie together, I don't think you would want to watch a gratuitous violent movie with no, me. No, you see, this is why you hold a pillow close to you and then you flap it up like a protective window. So I'd literally just be sitting there with the pillow in front of my face all the time. Okay, let me give you an example of movies that I like to watch. I would watch The Woman in Black 7,546 times. I love that movie. I love Hide and Seek. I love The Sixth Sense. I love movies that are like, oh my God, he's behind the door. I do not like gratuitous violence and gore. Obviously, to the people who didn't listen to what I read out about Dean, obviously it was very upsetting. But hearing the story really, really kind of irked my stomach. I'm not good with that. What I also wanted to mention about movies as well, and I noticed a lot of the time when I watch all these ghost hunters go into asylums, like what I did with Waverly Hills and like I did with this one, I think the movies have us absolutely convinced that it's not a paranormal experience unless you walk into an asylum and immediately someone shouts at you and the wind blows and says, get out. That's not how it works. Like You're lucky if you can get someone to move a ball. I can't even imagine how much energy it would take me to get out of bed in the morning, let alone I've died. I'm now a, a ghost. I have no corporeal. Like I am not a solid corporeal. What's that? Corporeal. That's a word. A corporeal state. Corporeal. I know an Al Capone. (laughs) Relating to a person's body, especially as opposed to their spirit. You're not a corporeal state. Oh, real. Okay, so I am not a solid matter. I am not. My hands don't clap. My money don't. (laughs) But I think the movies have us absolutely convinced that you're not just going to see like a painting kind of slightly smirk in a photo that you take. We We want Vigo from Ghostbusters to walk out of the painting. Like... Or Vecna from Stranger Things, for our Stranger Things fans. Okay, okay, okay. I will have to watch it eventually. Um, I think think one of our listeners should pick one of the best episodes for you to watch. No, that's absolutely pointless. I would much rather watch it from the very, very beginning. And the only way I think I'm going to do that is if I haul myself up in a hotel for two to three weeks and you just look after the boys. I would be totally happy to do that so we can converse about Stranger Things. How do you feel? Probably about it? would need a week, like a three day weekend to like a five day work a week. I so. thought you were going to say, like, in particular to like come down after the most recent no, episode. Because like, that seemed to very, like, really affect you. I just thought it was really good. <laughs> I just really enjoyed it. It is really good, though, when you can find a series like that. And yeah. I know that that's all they It see. really irked me that they did. I just, just released a series so I can binge watch it. I'm an adult. I can decide. You don't have to chaperone. 
my TV. <laughs> like, I'm still waiting. I'm not, I won't watch a series and I, they cut me out because I thought it was all, all up. I thought the last episode and then the was the last one and then, the, and then tomorrow, I seen it. Yeah, so Do you know what? It. For someone who's never watched an episode a day in her life, the only reason I even knew that the next episode was in July is because my favourite podcast, the girls were talking about it. And I was just like... Sorry, what podcast was that? <laughs> Murder Most Irish. <laughs> um, but only for one of the girls was actually saying, oh, the next episode's not till... June, I was or July, I was like, oh my god, these girls are my people. If they're watching it, maybe I really should be watching it. Maybe I'm missing out on something. I just, I'm, I'm. It's an all kid cast, and I don't know how that would, how would that work? Isn't what are we talking about? Stranger Things, aren't they all kids? Ah, uh, lots of the main characters are kids. But yeah, like, like the Hopper Goonies. Who's... The Goonies was a movie, and that worked because it was a movie. But these guys are making two hour long feature length films and calling them episodes. I don't know if I can. Ah, yeah, but these are seasoned actors. Are they, though? Yeah, like the character who plays Dustin, I seen a clip of him today on TikTok, and it's a video of him from years ago, and he's like, and this is just a tour of backstage. I'm playing such and such in Le Mis. And, uh, was he this, in Le Mis? It's not about you, it's about Le Mis. <laughs> um, but he was playing a character. Now, I don't know what character it is, um, but he was given, and he was like, this is where all the makeup is, this is all the, the male changing and the female changing, and then the... I, must look up, I love that movie, and I don't actually remember, well, to be fair, if it's not... I don't think he or, was in a, a film, maybe he was, maybe it was a film version, I don't know. I think if he was to be in Les Mis, it would probably be like an Oliver Twist kind of character, like, you know, a chimney he's very or something. He'd play, he would play a cheeky chappy yeah. quite well, he's, he's quite funny. What are the rest of your notes there? That's the gist of them. You did well taking your notes. I just throw, I like to throw the letters and then compound them into full words <laughs> and then also into a sentence. No, I like to scribble down the dates and then I scribble, like, I try to scribble down the, the names of the ghosts and this. Like, I, I circle 900 because that's, like, the amount of people that died overall. 900 were, so there was 100 people before 1952 and then 700 odd after 1952. I think it ended in 1955. So over the space of less than 10 Seven, ten, seven or ten years, nine hundred people were lobotomized in the same state. Nineteen fifty two and nineteen fifty five. Nineteen fifty five is when the lobotomy project was ended. So between nineteen fifty two, when he had come and kind of made it his own. I so the first lobotomy was in nineteen fifty two, and the last no, lobotomy was in. More than one hundred people had had the surgery before nineteen fifty two. Right, and then in and between 1952 and, and 1955, the remaining 900, so 800-odd, or I think it was seven-something, but about 900 state residents in... And that's also gas, and I mean gas in the most inappropriate way, that he was like, oh, I think it's a great idea if I train all these people. It's not a surgical procedure. Oh, my God, I know. It's just like, ah, I can get... An ice pick. Uh, it's the ice pick through the, the eyeball. Yeah. It's not through the eyeball. It's kind of. I like didn't want to go into detail about it because I mean it's twenty twenty two. Who doesn't know what a lobotomy is? But if you don't, I do apologize. And um, basically, they had a tiny little hammer and they put uh, an ice pick in a place that it's not supposed to go, and they would try and break through your skull. And it sounds like they literally just wiggled it around. The theory was if they separated the nerves or they broke off the nerve endings and then they died, that you would lose that vicious or angry yeah. or sometimes just severely depressed or anxious state. Um, now, I actually looked into it afterwards and the, we've come leaps and bounds when it comes to 
doing like manipulating the brain in ways like that like I'm not I'm not I'm not in any way shape or form saying oh the lobotomy was a great idea it was a terrible idea but at the time it was a huge advance and and we know less about the brain than we do we know more about the moon it's made of cheese that's all you need that's to know pretty much all you need to know it's its own charcuterie board there is there is oh, I love some cheese right about now. Yeah, back then the lobotomy was was thought of as like state of the art, new advances in in how to help these people. And by was, everybody, but but nine hundred of but them. But nine hundred. Well, that was nine hundred and one states. The fact yeah. that he thought that you didn't need an operating room, just just the. There was one lady. She was severely depressed, and I think she was. They used her as an example. Say 50, 60, 70, 70 years ago. Would that be 1950? 70 years ago, the first thing they would have suggested to her was to go and have a lobotomy. And what she's had done now is when she starts to feel or when the this little tiny, it's no bigger than the top right corner of your credit card. It sits on uh, receptors in your brain. And when it starts to notice that your mood is dipping, it releases whatever it is that needs to be released as serotonin or endorphins or dopamine to try and bring your mood back up again. And She's gone from walking out of her job and just leaving and not telling anyone where she was going and not getting out of bed for weeks to being able to go out and walk her dog and this and the other. And I, I thought this was all great. Like all this, this scientific... Someone that, that, now. Okay, right. I misunderstood completely. I was like, somebody who got lobotomized in 1950 <laughs> no, no. has now got a SIM card in their brain no. that reacts to the dopamine level. But I mean, a dog would do that anyway. But what I'm no, what I was saying was, sorry, I might have said that wrong. Seventy years ago, she would have been a prime candidate. I understand. For you said it right. I heard you wrong. Oh, okay. And there were so many cases that I watched of like twenty-three-year-old young women. Now I know I'm thirty-five in a couple of days, and as far as I'm concerned, anyone that's less than me is still babies. But I'm looking at this twenty-three-year-old girl, and her parents' issue was. She didn't engage in the political conversation that we had at the dinner table. And she didn't engage in the intellectual conversations. And she didn't read. And I'm kind of like, that's because she didn't like any of this. And all she wanted to do was eat and go and read a book and be by herself. But because she didn't engage in the same way as the rest of her family and she didn't have the same interests, she didn't want to go out and get married and have loads of babies and buy a house. She just wanted to do her own thing. Her family put her forward to have a lobotomy. And I'm like, there is nothing wrong with this girl. She gets lobotomized. And ends up having to learn how to walk, talk, eat, use the bathroom. She, her whole life is completely, completely turned. Oh, uh, her family who suggested that and pushed her to do it. Didn't the mild, help her go to the yeah, toilet. Exactly. Yeah. The mild inconvenience of having to talk for her because she wouldn't engage in a conversation has now turned into she can't go to the bathroom by herself. Uh, but they wouldn't get up after her. No. Not, well, I mean, if they're going to put her in for a lobotomy just because they, she won't have a conversation with them, I really doubt her palliative care was looked after by them. But this is where Trans Allegheny would have come in. You don't want to look after your sick relative that you got lobotomized bring them there they'll look after them you just make up make up an illness oh she's political she's a suffragette she she had an opinion about disobedient though have you ever like if you turned around and you didn't have a steak and chips ready you're kind my of like, my like, isn't cooked to perfection when i come in the door from work tomorrow it's off to the asylum with well you. that's that's going to be hard for both of us because you didn't buy tortellini you bought taglatelli <laughs> Well, that segment was funny until you were. <laughs> no, it's not fine. Have we any other notes? No. Or things? No, no. I think you've a, you've a lot to cut down there. I do. Right, say your words. Uh, I wanted to touch off one thing though. I had thought briefly, very briefly, about cutting uh, the episodes down to one episode a week, but a very long episode. 
And the chap who actually suggested this episode to me said that it's actually quite handy because he lets the episodes build up. And then I realized I do that as well. Um, And then you just, I don't know, kill a two hour journey when you're driving home or, you know, if you're on the bus or something. So I think unless the consensus is otherwise, I think we're happy to stick with the two episodes a week. Well, if somebody wants to give us feedback... Yeah, it'd be good to it'd be good to get some feedback because I'm watching the numbers go up of the amount of downloads and listeners that we have, and I have no idea who you people are. Like, who who is listening to you and me talk absolute blur for like forty five minutes? Yeah, let us know who you are. Send an email. Send us on your PPS number. You know. It's credit card numbers, Stephen. You don't want PPS. I'm bad at this thing. <laughs> Stealing? Yeah. Okay, I think we will finish up there. Thank you so much for listening to the episode today. I am actively trying to get the episodes up onto uh, YouTube, which is proving a massive feat because I am not tech savvy, but I will try and get it done as quick as I can. If you have a personal story that you would like to share with us, our email address is what's the story ghost at gmail.com. As always, our Instagram is what's the story ghost. Oh, so exit jingle. Yes. Well, no, don't sound so uh, very. Well, I'm sounding more nervous because I haven't been thinking about what to do, and it's going to come out like countdown. <laughs> Go. Exit jingle. <laughs> okay. Bye. Say bye. bye. <laughs>